0: Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and if you want to learn more about our church, look us up on Facebook or our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, today, let us see all the more clearly Jesus, who he is as our Savior, as our Lord, and as our friend. Help us to receive your truth for our benefit and our growth, to wield truth well, to lift others up to your kingdom instead of to wield truth as a weapon to hurt those who hurt us. Help us to be more and more like Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have a bad habit. Well, I have many bad habits, I'm sure, but today I must confess one particular bad habit that I have. I leave socks around the house. I do it subconsciously. At the end of the day, as I sit in my chair, and I'm resting, I just slide those socks off the ends of my feet and onto the floor they drop and I just let them sit there. For some of you right now, you're trying to reach through your computer to give me a slap. Some of you might be so disgusted with that idea, you're not sure you can keep listening. And some of you, you do exactly the same thing and you've been driving your spouse nuts and you might not even know it. Your spouse is probably looking at you right now be warned, your response to that look might be more important than you realize. Now, in our home, we have our Labrador, our family pet, our dog that we love, two years old and uh, growing quite wonderful. Very, She's mellowing out wonderfully, but she still is very mischievous. And our Labrador, Sophie, loves socks. Most of the time, she'll pick up a pair of socks out of the laundry basket. She'll trot over to the laundry room and find a pair, and then we have to chase her to get them back. More than a few times, our dog has gotten a hold of a sock because I'm a bit of a caveman, and I leave my socks on the floor. And this is usually what happens. After we've secured all the socks away, our dog will grab one of my errant socks, and my wife, Betsy, will look at me in disbelief and ask, where is the dog getting these socks? We've put all of them away and in that moment I have a decision to make. What I say next will have a great impact on the rest of the evening. Should I answer the question, or pretend that I didn't hear the question? The truth won't kill my wife, but it might get me killed. Well, the truth is, Betsy's pretty gracious, and usually Uh, Most of the time, she'll just sigh and say, would you please not leave your socks lying around? It's gross, and the dog thinks it's a game. She speaks truth not to kill, but to correct. This, of course, is the moment when our son Seth will subconsciously peel his socks off and throw them onto the floor. The dog grabs them, and the game is afoot again. Ever have a moment when the truth would have fixed everything? Have you ever had a moment when the truth was something that you were afraid of? Have you ever had a moment where truth was presented to you and it hurt? Sometimes that hurt is needed. The truth, that hurt of truth leads to healing. And sometimes that hurt was intended to wound and leave you damaged. Today, I want to share a Bible story from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus returns to his hometown, and he reveals to them the truth of who he is. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. And the people of Nazareth must decide what to do with that truth. Their decision is critical. What you and I believe and do with the truth of who Jesus is has eternal consequences. Please receive the truth of who Jesus is. Receive the truth of who you are and be restored and reshaped for the kingdom of heaven. Rejecting Jesus is deadly. Ignoring the truth because it hurts is deadly. Using the truth to hurt others only makes us miserable and it ruins our relationships. So let us go to Luke chapter 4 verses 14 through 30 and read the text. Beginning in verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up and read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is is on me, because he has anointed me. To proclaim the good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim the freedom freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began saying to, to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him, and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. And Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there are many widows In Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet no one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I love this story. It's packed with information about who Jesus is. We gain a clear picture of him through this text as a teacher evangelist and as one filled with the Spirit and as one facing tense and very difficult conflict situations. We're told much about who Jesus is and from this we're told much about how we are to live. Jesus shows us how to worship, how to treat the Word of God, how to speak truth, and how to handle rejection, and how to respond to those who mean us harm. This story, as Luke tells it, follows immediately after two inaugural events in Jesus' earthly ministry. Just previous to the story, Luke tells us of Jesus' baptism with the Holy Spirit resting upon him in a visible way as a dove, and God the Father speaking to him, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. In the next scene, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, goes off to the wilderness to fast for 40 days and 40 nights, and he faces temptation from Satan. And and he resists those temptations. He is victorious. And then Luke, from that moment, drops Jesus into the town of Nazareth, into the country, the surrounding country of Galilee, and then into Nazareth. Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, he returns to Galilee. His ministry is launched. The kingdom of heaven is breaking forth in the words of his teaching and through the power of his miracles. And there he is in Nazareth, teaching. One of the many distinctions i 'd just like to point this out that separate Jesus from the teachers and prophets that came before him is and this is one we shouldn 't miss is that the prophets and teachers always spoke of a day to come in the future where forgiveness would be made available to all. The sick would be healed, the poor would be lifted up, and God would restore his people. The prophets all taught that someday this would happen, and this is what Israel was hoping for and praying for. Luke and all the Gospel writers make it clear that Jesus proclaimed that this was what, what was once hoped for in the future, someday. This is what was happening right now in his ministry. That's the situation we need to catch and understand. All that Israel had hoped for for the future someday was happening right now in Jesus's ministry, and at that moment, with it breaking forth, the future happening now, Jesus enters his hometown of Nazareth, and he attends a Saturday morning synagogue service. Now, Darrell Bach, in his commentary on Luke, shares with us the clearest understanding that uh, we have of how synagogue services looked in Jesus' day. Well, the first requirement for synagogue service is that you needed to have 10 men present. Uh, the second thing, and really the first thing would happen in the service is the congregation would gather and they would recite the Shema. This was a... Uh, a, a treasured scripture of the Hebrew people, one that they valued above all others. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, and it reads like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This scripture was proclaimed by every Israelite at the beginning of each day. And it's how they started their worship services. And in this passage, you can gather that the scripture was incredibly important, critically important to the Jewish people. So they began their service with the Shema. And then they would share prayer together, whether those prayers were some of the pre-written prayers that they had handed down from generation to generation, or whether it was just simply everybody gathering and praying for the needs of the town for that day. Then there would be a reading from God's law that is from somewhere from the first five books of the Bible and then a reading from the prophets. Both of these texts would be read in Hebrew and then translated into Aramaic. Aramaic was the language that everybody spoke in Israel at the time of Jesus. And then somebody would teach or preach in a way that would take those texts that were read from the Torah and the prophets and they would tie them together and share a message for the town to hear. And the service would be closed with a benediction. This is what Jesus was invited to do in his hometown synagogue. Now, it was not uncommon, as we can see in the book of Acts, to have notable guests to be invited to read scripture and to speak a word about the scriptures. Whoever was in town on on Sabbath during synagogue worship, if they were uh, a guest, they might be invited to share. Jesus, however, I would argue is not necessarily that distinguished guest or visitor. He's Mary and Joseph's son. Yes, there's a buzz about him because he started this ministry. He's performing miracles around the countryside, but he's not a distinguished guest yet. And certainly in his hometown, people are too familiar with him to be in awe uh, and reverence of him yet yeah, to, to just clamor for for his teaching, but they do invite him to read and to share a word, and it is into this tense moment that Jesus presents the truth about himself to his hometown. They marvel at his words and his teaching, but they do not receive his teaching. In the end, they're so upset at his words that they attempt to kill him. Well, I want to take a couple of moments here and look at this passage and Examine what it tells us about who Jesus is and what we can learn from that. The first thing I would say is this. Jesus is said to us, and, and it's told to us through this passage, that he is full of the Holy Spirit. It's there in verse 14 and verse 18. Everything Jesus does is in concert with the Holy Spirit and God the Father. Never in the Gospels do you read about Jesus just waking up one day and deciding he has a new idea he wants to try out. Over and over again, you read about Jesus following the will of his Father or following the leading of the Holy Spirit. We can learn from this. How often do you make decisions based on what you feel is right, your will, and your leading? And how often do you make decisions based on taking time to discern the will of the Heavenly Father and the power of the Holy Spirit This is what Jesus modeled for us, and we too should seek to do this. The second thing about Jesus that we can learn about who he is and who we are to be is he's a worshiper in the synagogue. I I find just tremendous uh, irony in this. Jesus, son of God, creator of everything. Verse 16 tells us that he had a custom of worshiping in the synagogue. The text tells us that when he read the scripture, he stood, and standing to read the word of God is a sign of respect for God's word in Israel at this time. Can you see the strangeness in this moment? God standing there, the Son of God standing there, and then out of respect, he's showing respect for the word that he wrote, he's standing. It's this odd moment. Well, if attending worship is important to Jesus, it should be important to us. And I know this is a strange time to say this because we're under stay-at-home orders, and it makes this difficult. Um, But I wanted to share this. I've heard it said that you can go. You don't. I've heard it said you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And while this is true, the times we find ourselves in with these stay-at-home orders, and we're we're all getting a little little bit stir crazy, we find ourselves. We find that it is all too clear how important it is for the church to gather together. I cannot wait for the day that we can open our doors and worship together. Uh, We are still waiting. We want this virus to pass through the area, but soon we will gather. Yes, we can be a Christian without going to church, but the church needs to gather together. It is healthy for us. It builds us up, and I look forward to that day where we can open the doors and just celebrate and worship together. Third thing about Jesus that we're told from this passage is that he is a fulfillment of scripture. He's a man on a mission. He's a liberator. Jesus is not teaching about what will happen someday, as we mentioned, but he's saying those future things that Israel is looking for, they're happening in him right now. He is a fulfillment of scripture. He is what was predicted in the book of Isaiah. The kingdom of heaven is at hand now. He is bringing it forth now. He is the fulfillment. And he's a miracle worker. That's the fourth thing we're told about Jesus. He's a miracle worker. Even the people of Nazareth want to see him perform miracles. Fifth thing is that Jesus speaks the truth, and that truth is often uncomfortable. The people of Nazareth admire the teaching of Jesus, but they do not accept his claims or or that he has performed miracles. They want to see the miracles for themselves. Do some here. In response to this, Jesus tells them the truth that they don't want to hear. He says they have taken for granted God's blessing for them. They feel that they are special because of their heritage. And so Jesus points out a moment in Israel's history where heritage didn't equal blessing. He singles out a period when Elijah and then later Elisha were prophets. It's one of the lowest moments in the history of Israel as a nation. You can read about it in in 1 Kings 17 and 18 and 2 Kings 5 uh, verses 1 through 14 And it was not an Israelite that Elijah blessed, but a widow from a foreign land. And uh, Elisha didn't heal an Israelite leper, but Naaman, a foreigner and a leper. Those who thought they were in, the Israelites, were actually on the out. They didn't get the blessing. And those that thought they were left out, those who were foreigners, the widow and then Naaman, they were actually in receiving God's blessing And Jesus is saying it's the same now for the people of Nazareth. You think you're in because of your heritage, but you are missing the blessing of God because you will not receive the truth. This leads us to the sixth thing about Jesus that we find. The people of, of Nazareth hear this and they're angry. And that sixth thing is is they reject him. Jesus is rejected. And it's important to know this about Jesus. I think most of us as Christians, we go, yeah, I know Jesus was rejected and, and he had to be. That way the cross would happen. But I think it's important to know that Jesus performed miracles. He taught powerfully. He moved in the power of the Holy Spirit. And there were people who watched those things happen and they would just stand there and simply say, I don't believe him. They rejected him. And we, too, need to be ready to be rejected. I have heard many Christians talk about how they are nervous to share Jesus with others or with their families because their family might get mad at them and might reject them. Well, it happened to Jesus. It happened in his hometown, and it happened with his family. The rejection there was so strong that the town wanted to kill Jesus. Know this. Sometimes rejection is an indication of success, not failure. This is because the gospel does not always tickle the ears of its hearers with compliments. It can be hard to look into a reflective mirror and see what is there and receive it. And sometimes people simply reject. Seventh thing from this passage about Jesus is simply this. No one can stop Jesus. It's there in verse 30. As a new Christian, I heard this story, and it just left me in awe. Jesus, a man on a mission, slips out of the crowd. He just walks right through the crowd and goes on his own way. And as a new Christian, I remember hearing that going, Ah, yeah, he's an escape artist. Nobody can touch him. Nobody can kill him ahead of his plan. There's a lesson here, too, though. Jesus leaves the crowd, slips right away, Nobody can touch him, but he doesn't leave the crowd with an angry word or revenge upon them. He just leaves. I think sometimes when we're rejected, when we're wounded by others, we might go on our way, but we go on our way with a kick behind us, with a with a, a biting word, a a something we say back to just kind of get a little bit of uh, of payback, a uh, uh, a sharp word. Jesus doesn't do that in Nazareth, and I don't think we're called to do that when we're hurt and rejected. I'd also say about this uh, story, this encounter Jesus has with Nazareth is, it is very final. As far as we know, Jesus never comes back to Nazareth. So do not miss your opportunity to meet with Jesus. So this text presents us with Jesus, and, he a- and it asks us to receive Jesus. And to receive Jesus, we must faith, face the truth about Jesus. And we have to ask ourselves, do we believe who Jesus says he is? And we must also believe truth about ourselves. And this is perhaps the most difficult part. When we are asked to look into a mirror, we don't often like what we see. When Jesus asks us to look into the mirror, he is asking us to look at our sin and the. That is the difficult moment. Jesus means to bless us in this moment and not harm us. He means to give us forgiveness and restoration, not rejection. But it can be difficult to look at your sin and believe and receive. R.C. Sproul says this, You don't have to give up your intellect to believe in the Bible. You do have to give up your pride. And that can be hard for us to do. But perhaps you've had to face truth when it was used against you as a weapon, you do know that truth can be used as a weapon to hurt instead of, instead of to heal. Have you ever experienced truth that just makes you catch your breath and make you feel embarrassed? And Sometimes we call out someone with truth to make ourselves feel better or to poke at them or to get even. There's a story of a ship captain uh, one day recording in his ship's log, The first mate was drunk today. It was a true statement, but it was the first incident where the mate had been drunk while on duty. The mate pleaded with the captain to amend the statement, but the captain refused, saying it was a true statement. The next time the first mate was in charge of the ship, he recorded in the log, the captain was sober today. The truth was spoken, but spoken to hurt. We can be like Christ, or we can be like the town of Nazareth. One speaks truth The other speaks truth as they know it. Jesus speaks truth to redeem. The town speaks what they think is the truth to maintain their beliefs, to build themselves up. Isn't he just Joseph's son? Now more than ever, Truth needs to be spoken to let grace break forth and lift up the people of God, not wield it as a weapon to tear down. Perhaps we need to hear this simply because we've been cooped up with those closest to us for several weeks now. We're all a little stir-crazy, and I would urge you in this moment when you're stuck at home to resist the desire to blast those near you with the truth. Lift them up instead. Also, so much of our interaction happening on the internet today, with all that interaction on the internet, please be careful on how you use the truth online. The internet is a public forum. It's, a painf- it's painful and it's unproductive because there's no re- resolution that can be reached in a Facebook conversation. Calling out truth in a public place takes the situation from a one-on-one conversation to a one-on-one conversation with an audience. In our story today, the village is the audience, and they react in a group anger, uh, sort of way, and they try to kill Jesus. Be careful how you use truth in a public way. It doesn't just hurt one, it can hurt many. So, will you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the fulfillment of Scripture? He is the one who sets us free from our sin. Will you let him set you free from your sin? How will you use truth on others? Will you use it in a way that lifts them up, draws them nearer to heaven, or will you use truth in a way that tears them down? Go with Jesus.